Well, good morning, Verity. It is Pastor Nathan here. Um, you might be surprised to see me. Normally, I'm Stan. And uh, no, this is not what Stan just looks like when you've shaven off all of his Santa Claus beard. Sorry, Stan. It's a little white. I'm just telling you. Um, but we finished now uh, two weeks here officially at Verity, and we are so excited. Dusty and I just want to offer our thanks to everyone here. Um, just because it's really hard in this time to make people feel welcome and cherished, and uh, and you've done it. So congratulations. Uh, people have reached out to us in so many different ways, uh, emails and phones, and I've seen people here at the church just helping and getting things organized, and I've felt the love, um, and I just want to start off with a quick thank you um, for that, for, for embracing the new guy <laughs> and, and our family. Um, it's been wonderful. But yes, yeah, Stan is not on uh, this week. He's off uh, now that we've kind of hit some kind of a stride with our new uh, types of formats in the COVID world. Um, we're trying to bring new people in. Thank you so much, Rachel, for bringing us worship this morning. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. I'm looking forward so much to getting other people involved in that area. And um, if we can give Stan some time as well, bringing in uh, people to speak. We've been running him ragged with all sorts of things, managing the church and preaching every week and then Tuesday Bible studies and and uh, updates and, and dealing with the boards and things like that. So I'm glad he's finally able to have a week off. Um, so just offer your appreciation to Pastor Stan. It's unbelievable the things that go on in the background. Uh, so when you see him, give him an encouragement. Um, not that he ever looks for it, but he certainly uh, deserves it. Well, today, in just taking a break from our regular preaching series in Acts, uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the book of Job, and and uh, I think it's just really appropriate right now to do that because we're living in times of suffering, and is there a greater example of suffering in the world than the book of Job? I, I don't think so. So um, we're going to be looking at that, but um, it just, I remember an interview that I saw with the now late Ravi Zacharias, and it's so weird saying that. But the now late Ravi Zacharias uh, did an interview just a few months ago, and um, it, it was in it where the the interviewer was asking him, "Hey, Ravi, of, of all the places you go and and you and you preach all over the world, and you and you do apologetics talks and debates, and you're in universities and all these halls, what's the one question you get asked more than anything else?" And Ravi said, "You know what? That's easy." He said. The one question is, if there is a great and all-powerful loving God, then why is there so much sin and suffering in the world today? Have you ever heard that before? I mean, I have, uh, for sure. And, and, and experiencing pain and suffering has even shaken the faith of a lot of Christians and, and really driven them away from God as they respond in bitterness and, and, and sorrow. And, and I've known people that have walked away from the church because of a thought like this. And and uh, they get just so frustrated and so wrapped up in the world and I can see where they're coming from. I mean, you know, you say there's an all-powerful God and he loves us and he could do anything, but yet there's still suffering and pain in the world. You know what? He's all-powerful. He's loving. Why don't you sell that to all the Jews that died in the Holocaust? Or, or why don't you sell that to the people that are caught in the middle of civil war and watching their homes explode or, or burn to the ground? Or, or maybe... Maybe you can tell that to the tsunami victims that have had literally everything washed away in their life. Or you know what, forget that. How about we just get a little bit more personal and why don't you tell me why my father left when I was six years old? 
or, or why my saint of a mother has stage four lymphoma. Well, friends, I, I wish I could cover all of the different reasons why they're suffering in the world today, because I, I know that the Bible contains answers for that. But I wanted to take a slightly different spin for us today, because as Christians, I think it's important for us to not only understand um, why there's pain and suffering in the world, but I think it's really under uh, it's really important to understand how we can walk faithfully through times of suffering as Christians. And so as we look at one of the most famous accounts of suffering in the world, the, the book of Job, as I've mentioned, the, I think the story of Job can really offer us some insight. And it's going to show us how we can maintain a godly perspective in times of suffering, how we can walk through suffering and still honor God and, and do it the way he wants us to do it. Uh, and, and and I think it's going to provide for us some hope because I really want to get practical with this a little bit today. And and I think we're going to find hope today at the end of this uh, as we take a look at this uh, first chapter of Job and get some practical applications that we can weave into our life um, and help us learn to do this better. Okay, so just because we're looking at the whole first chapter of Job, I figured what I'm going to do is I'm just going to summarize the first half of it and then we're going to get into our text halfway through. But let's get a little bit of context for what this is. So Job, um, a, a very old book of the Bible, we know because it's referencing different people groups that were you know, around Abraham's time. So it's thousands and thousands of years old. Uh, and back then, the Bible introduces us to this man named Job. And it tells us that he was blameless and upright. He feared God, shunned evil, and uh, and this is how we have him introduced to us. He's a very rich man. It says he was the richest man in the East. And the Bible back then used, um, you know, really livestock to describe wealth. So it said that Job had um, some 7,000 sheep and then all the shepherds and, and the land to go along with that. And then 3,000 camels and, and I guess all their stalls and whatever you call people that take care of camels and then all the enterprise and then 500 yoke of oxen in the fields and the workers. And then it says 500 female donkeys. I, I genuinely don't know why they don't say male donkeys or what this is, but, but there had to be male donkeys around there somewhere. But the point is, is he had a lot of stuff and all of the enterprise that goes along with it. Okay. So on top of that, God had blessed him personally. So he had a wife and he had 10 children, seven sons, three daughters. And uh, probably the biggest miracle of all was that all of his family got along. I mean, they all uh, ate together and celebrated together. And they were a close family. And so as we're introduced to this character, Job, um, the next scene is kind of Satan approaching the throne of God. And, and this is such a weird and unique illustration in scripture. We don't know how much this happens or how it happens or what, but we're going to forget all that. We know it happened and uh, God and Satan have this conversation. And God asks Satan if he's considered his servant Job. And Satan says, yeah, I know Job. Of course, that's the guy that loves you a lot. Yeah, he's blameless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know why? Because you've given him all this stuff, uh, right? He's rich, God. Uh, why don't you Take all of this stuff away from him, and then you'll see how much he loves you. In fact, he's going to curse your name if you were to just take that away from him. You've put a, a hedge of protection around him, God. Right? Have you ever heard that before? Um, a hedge of protection? I, I, people have prayed for that before. You know, God, I just pray for a hedge of 
protection around this, and I really never knew where that came from, but it came from here. Satan accuses God of having a hedge of protection around Job. Take it all away, God, and Job will curse your name. And so God, in a very surprising move, says, okay. And I would have just kind of loved to seen Satan's reaction at that point in time, because he probably did a double take, right? And said, what? Okay. God says, okay. Take everything you want from him. But you're not allowed to touch his person. And so, Satan is allowed to test Job. To prove that uh, Job's love would remain true to God, God allowed this to happen. And so Satan leaves to get ready to do just that. And that's where we're going to pick up our text. So it's going to focus on the second half of this first chapter of Job. And I want you to read from verse 13 uh, with me. So Job chapter 1, verse 13, follow along with me as we read through this tragedy. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one that's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one that's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels, and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one that's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they are dead and I'm the only one that's escaped to tell you. Well, the first thing that I want to acknowledge here, folks, is the presence of suffering. Um, the presence of suffering. For those of you type A personalities that like to keep notes for the sermon, that's the first point. In the case of Job, I, I really... I, I understand that this is probably one of the hardest situations someone here on earth has ever had to go through. I mean, we all suffer, but how many of us had really had Satan directly loosed on them to destroy everything you own in a matter of mittens, minutes? And believe me, folks, when you give Satan that latitude, he's going to take all of it. And, and re the reality is, is that Job, if he's if he's an upright and righteous man and he's living the way God wants him to and God has blessed him and then all of a sudden... It just happens. I mean, Job never saw this coming. He never saw it coming. Do you know that the, the Bible never says to us that Job ever was privy to the conversation between Satan and God? He never knew. In fact, he never get, got to read his own book. I mean, Job didn't read Job. I mean, this was for us so that we can benefit from this thousands of years later. So... He didn't know anything about it, and he experienced some of the worst troubles that you could ever imagine, and really all at once. I mean, let me ask you, have you ever had a bad day? I mean, I think of a bad day, and I'm thinking that 
uh, you know, my kids are giving me grief over something they didn't want to do, or maybe I wanted them to do something or, or something like that. Or, or, uh, maybe the barista got my coffee order wrong, or, um, I don't know, maybe the car was empty when I went to get in it and go somewhere and, and, or I was caught in traffic. Well, probably not these days, but, but that's kind of like first world problems, right? These are like bad days, um, for us. And, and again, there's suffering that we've all experienced to certain degrees, but this is an extreme degree. I mean, for most people, this scenario is unimaginable. Um, and Job experienced tragedy after tragedy, one right after another. Look what it says. It says over and over again, before that servant stopped speaking, another one ran in to tell him of the next tragedy and another and another and another. And you'd think after the third time he would have shut the door. I mean, that's it. I can't take any more of this. That's all I can bear. And yet, Job stood bold-faced for the first three messengers as they came and told him he had lost all of his material possessions. But it was the fourth messenger that was Satan's mighty crescendo that brought Job to his knees. Your sons and daughters are all dead. And so Job is hit hard with the presence of suffering. The likes of which most of us, thank the Lord, will never know. Well, though we've all experienced suffering in various ways, um, let's take a look at our perspective in suffering. We've looked at the presence of suffering, now our perspective in suffering. And I think that the story of Job is written to us for a number of different reasons, but not the least of which is for us to be able to see how a righteous man reacts to the sheer amount of suffering he had gone through, and we can witness what Job does. So let's read together and find out what Job's perspective is in suffering. We can see how a godly man reacts to devastating news. Notice in verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and what? Worshipped. He worshipped. And I don't know about you, but I had to ask myself, I mean, is this how I would have reacted? So you've got two things happening here. So on the one hand, you've got grief, okay? And on the other hand, you have... Worship? I mean, do they go together? I mean, listen, I, I, I get the whole grief thing. I mean, tore his robe, shaved his head, that makes sense. I mean, there's loss, there's suffering, there's pain. That I can get. But on the other hand, worship? It says he fell to the ground and he worshipped. And Job didn't curse God and, and, and die like Satan had suspected. No, he didn't fly into a rage and shake his fist at God and say, How dare you? No. He worshipped. So how is this possible? I mean, wouldn't we like to say that we've had this kind of a faith that we would react the same way? Well, let's keep reading and just find out what's going on in Job's head. Verse 21, look. It reveals Job's perspective. It says, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
You see, Job had perspective. Job had perspective. The things of this world are merely temporary, and Job had a deep understanding that all he had was not really his, but they belonged to the Lord. And how can we live like that? I mean, I want to be so close to God that when this kind of devastating tragedy happens, that I can turn back and look and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I think there's a secret earlier on in Job, and this never hit me before. I've read the story so many times, but I've just passed over this one little section. So let's turn back. I want you to look with me in Job chapter 1 and verses 4 and Five. Let's read this and see if you can catch what I'm talking about. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular what? Custom. His regular custom. Well, I think this is very, very telling to see that Job made this his regular custom. Something that he did that he was never really commanded to do. You've got to understand, there's there's no really after a birthday party or a feast what you should do is just in case your kids made a thought something bad in their hearts about God, you might want to kill a few goats just in case. There's no law like that. There's nothing that told Job he had to do that. Nothing. He just did it. It was a regular custom. This is something that Job set up for himself so that he can keep his mind focused on God so that he can understand and keep this godly perspective that everything belongs to God. And I think that's very telling. What do you think is on on the mind of a man that does that? I mean, you tell me, is this a guy that is taking his wealth and family for granted? Or is this the actions of someone who fears the Lord and was constantly living in a state of worship to Almighty God? I mean, you see, it set him up to constantly acknowledge God in his life, to be thankful for the most important things in his life, his children to commit everything dear to him, to God, and to only God. His preparation in his own life with these customs and how he lived allowed him to respond in this way when suffering hit with not only grief, but worship. And in an amazing acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God, what does he say? Naked we came from the earth, naked we came into the earth, naked we're going to leave. God is God, we're not. His ways are higher than our ways. He gives, he takes away. Who are we to question the Lord? Should we not accept the bad with the good? And blessed be the name of the Lord. And in the midst of unfathomable tragedy, to grieve the pain of loss, but still worship the Lord who is sovereign over all forever. Amen. It was how Job lived his life. Day after day, week after week. And I want to expand on this idea just a little bit, uh, just so that living our lives with the correct perspective and building customs into our own lives that will help us keep this godly perspective. And, And I really think it takes us being deliberate. 
And so I want to get practical as we've seen the presence of suffering. We've looked at perspective in suffering. And now let's take a look at preparing for suffering. And don't worry, that sounded a little ominous, preparing for suffering. I, I'm not uh, crafting a plan to make us all suffer a little bit and build in some godly character. So don't worry, suffering happens normally. I mean, preparing for suffering, how do we prepare for suffering? Uh, we don't all have to meet in the parking lot and pour itching powder in our pajamas and, and just suffer together to, to strengthen our resolve. Um, but I'm talking about Christians. How do we live our lives day after day? I mean... What customs do we have or what habits do we have built into our lives that help turn our attention back to God? And I mean, we do this already, right? But there's value in uh, how Job regularly lived his life in creating these habits. Because the more we can, we can acknowledge Christ in everything we do, the better off we're going to be. And so some of the things we do already, um, I mean, we meet on the Lord's Day for church, right? We uh, go to church on a Sunday. Maybe maybe uh, we pray before meals at our houses, right? Or before bedtime. Uh, we might even have quiet time set up to read our Bibles or, or pray. Maybe it's in the same time or the same spot every morning. Or um, These are things that we've incorporated into our lives that are kind of habits that help turn our attention back to Christ and keep him in his proper place, right? I think so. Well, at our house, we're constantly challenged with how to make sure that those customs that we have already remain meaningful. Because if we're just turning them into empty customs, that becomes religion, which is meaningless. And that is not what we're designed to do. We're designed to have genuine fellowship and communion with God. And so when we are putting these things into place, it is so important that we keep things meaningful and designed to do specifically exactly what they're designed to do not just become empty rhetoric. And we call it at our house the now I lay me down to sleep syndrome, right? So when you're younger, uh, when the kids are younger, I mean, and you're younger too, obviously, um, I mean, you're building those patterns in. So now I lay me down to sleep might work really well for establishing a pattern. But as you get older, you don't want empty rhetoric when you're dealing with God, you want meaning. And so we always wanna make sure that we're building that into our habits. And the more we can do that, the better off we're going to be. And so the question is this, how, how are you doing at that? How are you doing? If you think about your life day after day, week after week, what do you have built into your life to keep your perspective on God, to keep focus on Christ? how's your Netflix to God ratio? Or maybe it's your Facebook to God ratio. Low blow. I heard a quote um, this past week that said, the, the world would be a much better place if we checked our Bible as much as we checked Facebook or Instagram. And in today, even today, when we're confined to our homes, we can get caught up with busyness and things that distract us, things that take us away from our God. Um, we're going to have trouble. We know it's coming. John 16.33 tells us that Christ says, In this world you will have trouble, but behold, I have overcome the world. And he did. Look, he did what we couldn't do ourselves. I mean, and we in our own strength, we know this. If we're trying to do things just with our own power, we fail time and time again. I mean, we can't do it. 
We can never be good enough to accept the, the to, to be good enough for a holy God. We had to accept the free gift of Christ. And, and Christ did for us what we could not do ourselves. He lived the perfect life. And that is the only way we're going to be able to reconcile ourselves to God. He died in our place. He paid the price so that we can experience life more abundant and freedom and comfort and even worship in times of suffering and eventually life everlasting beyond this broken world. Is there a better reason than to, uh, than to worship this God? I mean, is there a better reason to make these plans, to, to build things into your life, to turn your attention back to this God, the God that loves you, the God that made you, the God that saved you? Friends, there is no better plan than that. So for us Christians, I mean, if you've already made Christ the leader of your life, I, I wonder if there's something that you might feel God calling you to do. Something in your own life. Maybe you want to recommit to doing something um, more. Uh, maybe you've had a vibrant prayer life in the past, but it's kind of gone by the wayside a little bit. Or, or maybe you've spent time in the Word every day at, with devotions, but that's just fallen off and and uh, or, or or maybe um, there's something else that has slipped in your life that you want to just give back and recommit that to God or perhaps it's something completely new that you want to incorporate into your life and you think that this is a good idea what is something else that I can build into my life that will turn my affections back to God it could be any time uh, of the year I I heard of a family Christmas time that that baked Jesus a birthday cake as their new family tradition just to keep him at the center what could we do what could you do to build into your life a pattern that helps keep your affections where they should be so that when suffering comes you too can maintain a godly perspective and be able to react with grief and worship to almighty God and for anyone that might not yet believe in Christ. I just want to speak to you for a second. If you haven't acknowledged Jesus and asked him to forgive your sins and to be the Lord and leader of your life, what is holding you back? I can tell you that the Bible doesn't say as a Christian that suffering stops. No, that's that's just not true. In fact, it might be a little bit more of the, of the opposite, but but I can tell you that there is no better comfort uh, in a world of suffering, suffering than to walk with and to live for the one that made you, the one he loves you. He died for you and he wants to be with you through times of suffering in this world. What are you waiting for? You know, talk to us. Call us here at Verity. I'd love to talk to you. Call the person that shared this link with you. Job was able to endure extreme suffering by living in a constant state of worship, acknowledging God, and that gave him that godly perspective that grounded him. And what does it say? Look at verse 22, Job verse 1, verse 22. It says, through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he even blame God. Hmm. Well, friends, we've seen um, the presence of suffering. Um, we've looked at what a godly perspective in suffering is, and then we've talked about some ways how we can better prepare for suffering, how we can keep living in that state of worship by focusing on Christ and what he's done for us. And 
suffering does exist. We're living through some of it right now. It's going to continue to happen ultimately until Christ returns again and sets all of the wrongs right. And he will build a new heaven and a new earth and there will be no more suffering for those who belong to him. Until then, in this world, we will have trouble, but he has overcome the world. We're living in times of trouble right now, and God, help us to figure out ways and customs to include Christ in our everyday patterns so that we too can build up that godly perspective and live as Job lived in a constant state of worship to be able to walk faithfully through times of suffering and say, Blessed be your name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is so useful and so practical and so true. We thank you for what you've shown us this morning, God, and would you convict us and show us ways that we can reflect back throughout the day, throughout the weeks, throughout the months to you, your character, what you have done for us. God, help us to be people that reflect. Help us to be people that build in patterns into our lives that direct our affections towards you. You are worthy. You are deserving. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you have saved us and have delivered this. And we long for the day where you will come and set all of the wrongs right. Until then, we remain. We serve you. Help us to be your salt and light in a world that so desperately needs it. Blessed be your name, Father. Amen.